Welcome to Ohanga. My name is Maggie, and today we'll be speaking with Peter. The purpose of this call is to really just get the story of your life. If we, if we're going to call your art, like raptor photography, how that started, and we love childhood stories. So if you could really start as early as possible when you first got interested in birds, if any of that passion was inspired by your family or by your upbringing, anything like that. You know, it's funny because it really was not. And I got into birding at age 35 and it was a cool thing because I was like, wow, I, at age 35, I can find a whole new passion that I didn't have before you know by that age you're starting to get a little jaded you know, I, I used to run a small independent record label in my 20s and by the 30s all the bands were divorced and broken up and then you know what comes next so I moved to Providence um, and that's how it started I, I'm, I'm really lucky I moved into this great loft with a view of the they call it the Superman building downtown here and that's where the Peregrine Falcons have a nest box up there so moving in here I just started to notice them flying around and and got hooked on watching them with binoculars then upgraded to a camera and then bigger zoom and more zoom because when you realize you've got Peregrine Falcons hunting outside your window every day it's that's the time to upgrade you know some people go to on vacation to get a glimpse of a falcon and I see them every day I mean I, I see one right now so it's on it's perched on the Biltmore hotel it's really awesome you know, there was a little bit before i moved here where I, I moved i lived in new york city before and this was in the two, year 2000s in the 90s there became a famous new york city red-tailed hawk named pale male because he was very pale you know in the 70s and 60s the ddt chemical wiped out a lot of these raptors from the east coast so they were almost extinct until that ddt was banned then they started to come back and so pale male was one of the first red tails to come back into urban new york city and he happened to have nested on like a really expensive building on fifth avenue right over central park where like famous celebrities live so it was it was funny because a lot of people who like birds would then sit in Central Park with their binoculars and cameras pointed at this expensive building and the residents didn't like that. And eventually, you know, the nest was right over the entrance. You know, in the city, they'll put up a lot of spikes to keep pigeons from standing on buildings. But those spikes end up being like a foundation for a hawk to build a nest because it just has to insert its twigs between those spikes and it starts building its nest. So it had a great nest right above the entrance where those spikes were installed. And, you know, they're messy eaters, so they would start to drop carcasses and stuff down. <laughs> so there was a time when the building management said, that's enough. We're taking down the nest. And they actually removed the hawk nest. Wow. And there was a big um, rally in New York City, put back the nest. Wow. So I went to that rally. That was one of my first things. It was bring back the nest. and Because you were living um, in New York, right? Yeah, I lived on the other side of the park. I lived on the west side. And what um, point of your life was this? I guess I was, it was um, 15 years ago, I moved to Providence from there. So it was a little over 15 years ago. So, right, I was a little aware of, of urban raptors in general. And then there was a PBS special about Pale Mail, which I watched. So when I did come to Providence and and then got hooked on the watching the Falcons, uh, that was cool, but they always stay really high up. And then in 
after I upgraded my camera and kept it with me, there was one day I ran into a red-tailed hawk right on the ground and nobody else was there. It was a snowy day and I just got these really beautiful pictures because the snow was reflecting the sunlight and it was just really amazing. And I could get so close to this hawk right downtown. And I, and I thought, wow, I've, I've got my own pale male here now. And in New York City, you've got a hundred people following him and here no one else seems to care. So then I contacted Audubon and I said, you know, you, I, I know you had installed a box up there. Um, is anybody photographing those falcons? And at that point, nobody was. So I hooked up with Audubon. I photographed the banding of the falcon chicks every year. And now I've been doing that. I've been doing that 12 years now. So uh, it all just snowballed quickly. And and it's a small state. And that's what I love about it. It's, you know, that's in, like I said, in New York, there are a million people watching the Hawks and Falcons in Providence downtown i'm pretty much the only guy except for the other people that I, i've alerted to it now and also just being in a small state is nice there's one audubon chapter there's one raptor rehabber so i was very easily able to connect with these people and they're all very nice great people and and i said you know can i photograph all your animals and, and give you use of my photos for free and and again, it just snowballed from there. So now I'm on the board of directors of the wildlife clinic I designed for Audubon, their report and stuff. So uh, it's a great community to be involved with. So you didn't get into photography before you got into bird watching. Funny, yeah, I did. I was into photography um, as a child, well, a, a teenager. I took darkroom classes, you know, so before digital without. So I had a history. I'm a graphic designer. I'm an artistic right. guy. So I've taken classes in drawing and computer graphics and Lightroom, darkroom, uh, darkroom photography. So I did have that background. I have been using Photoshop since 1994. So I'm good at editing pictures as well. So, but it was funny because at the time when I got into birding, digital cameras were coming out, and the big thing was how small you could get them to carry them around in your camera. So I was hesitant to get one of these giant cameras that you know I eventually learned was necessary for birds that are very far away because I'm cropping out most mm -hmm. of the picture and just focusing on the bird. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned my childhood. I did, I lived on Long Island in New York and we had a really big backyard and I have dreams all the time where I wake up and, and there are like the backyards full of owls. Cause <laughs> now wow. I never, I never cared back then what was in the backyard. And now I wonder what was in our backyard. There were probably owls and who knows what else the foxes, but I know we had raccoons and you know, that's one of the, things that I always say I, I'm into um, telling the story of the animals where you live so you know I love that I live surrounded by these animals if I lived in the suburbs and there was a raccoon family at my house I would document that raccoons family throughout their the season um, but you know just yesterday I was sitting here at my desk and a Cooper's Hawk landed right outside the window so I went on Instagram live and it was fun to share it with you know whoever was following me from around the world that yeah. You know, and it was 20 degrees and snowing and they're like, oh, aren't you cold? I'm like, no, I'm at home. I'm inside. This thing is <laughs> right outside my window. And so that was fun to do. And um, I just love educating people about what I see right outside. I, I keep my camera with me always. Um, I don't know if you saw, I got a great video last week. You know, after 10 or plus years of doing this, you don't often see the actual catching of the prey. Um, you know, you see them eating prey or, or waiting for prey. Um, but I was going on my way to CVS and I saw a hawk in the tree. So I didn't even pull out my real camera. I pulled out my iPhone. And I said, oh, there's a hawk. And it was perfect timing. He came down and caught a pigeon right in front of me, right on the wow. sidewalk. 
So that was great. And I posted that. Everyone loved it. And I was able to go frame by frame. And you can see, you know, there was a guy standing on the sidewalk. He almost smacked into the guy and the guy didn't <laughs> notice at all. Yeah. So uh, it, the, the adventures never end. Basically, it's it's fun. And and since this and like I said, that just happened on the way to CVS. So I I don't have to book a trip and go birding. Actually, I see less when I go birding. You know, if I go hiking in the woods, I'm like, where are all the animals? Where are all the, you know, <laughs> I see more downtown. Yeah. Interesting. So let's go back to your childhood. So you said, so you were very creative even before birding. So what do you think was your earliest exposure to your creative side? Because did you well, immediately go into graphic design or were you? Well, get, my, my father is a printer. So right. he used to bring home things that, I remember when I was little, he brought home one of these CMYK film separation things where each color is on a different film and you put down the yellow and you put down the red and you see, wow, that makes colors. And you put down the blue and you see it made the whole rainbow. I remember looking at that for many years and it was, you know, he just got me into design and uh, I always thought I'd be a cartoonist, but, or and then an architect. So it was always something drawing and creative, but then I got hooked on photography and then um, digital photography, Photoshop, and doing stuff on the computer. Yeah, but as far as the love of birds, I, I've always loved animals. I always, when I was younger, I was always dreaming of getting a cat, but my parents were allergic. So, you know, when I finally got my own place, I got my own cat. Uh, so, yeah, I've always loved animals. And, you know, when I go on vacations, we don't, we book vacations with the purpose of seeing an animal somewhere. Like, um, now, like, like I go to Maine to try to see the puffins and then we do other nice stuff in Maine, but my main purpose is to see the puffins. So if if I book a trip to Florida or, or I went to um, California to see the burrowing owls that are little owls that live in the ground. So they're amazing. Yeah, they're adorable uh, and they live in like big groups. So they're not in a lot of places or not low. They're only in Florida and out in California, maybe some Arizona, New Mexico. But so I do go on trips for that. But I always say I could take some great pictures there, but I can't tell the story of those burrowing owls the way that somebody who lives there and visits them every day can tell their story. And actually, there's a woman who I do follow on Twitter who photographs those owls every day. You, you know, you can see that their whole story of breeding and eating and living. And that's what I could tell about these falcons here. I know where they bathe. I know where they go when it rains. So it's fun to, to be immersed in it. Did you major in graphic design? I grew up in New York, but I went to Tufts in, in Medford, Massachusetts, and they had a partnership with the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. So I was able to take art classes there. Oh, wow. So I didn't major. I was actually an anthropology major. Oh, uh, awesome. So I know I, I was interested in evolution and, and more physical anthropology than social anthropology, which is like, you know, cultural uh But I was very interested in just the science of evolution, which still carries over because I love the raptor feathers, you know, you're identifiable. They each have their own tail feather. And it's just so interesting to me. Like, why is one red? Why is one striped? Why is one thicker stripes than the other? The kestrels have a male and female have different colors, stripes. And, you know, that's all from evolution. And it all benefited that bird in some way in the past. And, uh, yeah, I just always loved animals and, yeah, dreamed about being a vet and, and I still do. So it's fun to be involved with those, with the veterinarians and yeah. help them in ways that I can with my design work. Yeah. So, so connect the dots for me. How did right. you go from anthropology to graphic designer? <laughs> you know, I was just very lucky in the 90s was the boom of the internet. You know, I lived in Tufts 
which was near MIT and Cambridge or a lot of startup companies. And um, just exactly that Photoshop came out and, you know, I was doing darkroom photography and then all of a sudden it was, you know, I remember the first time using a scanner and I was like, wow, my picture is now on the screen. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, you just do these printouts and yeah, I remember he showed me how to use it. Now my picture was actually on the computer screen. I couldn't believe it. And yeah, then, then he was like, look at these funny filters that you can do. And, you know, back then it was, you know, even Photoshop had filter, you know, people still love filters. And yeah. <laughs> so it was fun to play around with. And, you know, computers were so slow. We'd have to like apply a filter and come back in an hour and see the results because that's wow. how slow. And, oh you know, God. then, and um, back then in Photoshop, there was no undo even. So everything you did, you had to like save that version. So I've been through a lot. Photoshop didn't even have layers at that point. So yeah, that's just how the world went from, from analog photography to digital photography. And I guess I went along with it. I, I loved learning Photoshop and Illustrator. And I worked for a lot of internet startup companies in the late 90s. Some got bought out by Microsoft, some failed. I, I was running my record label at that time. And How did you get, tell website. me about that. How did you get involved well, with the record label? You know, it's funny, you know, my, my dad, it, in his 20s was a songwriter and he was hired to just write songs and then they were sold and different bands would wow. record them and so it's fun now that i have access to like discographies.com i can see every song my dad has written and since then i've hunted down every record and bought every record with my dad's Aww. name on it and, and i just got one from istanbul there was a like oh my turkey gosh. there was like a istanbul turkey only single where his song was on the b-side but <laughs> i just got that recently off of ebay he always kept, you know, got me into the Beatles and musical stuff. So I was just into music and collecting vinyl when I went to college. And then I met different bands uh, in college who were starting up. And just in the 90s, there was this ethos of DIY, do it yourself. And it was like anti big corporate CDs and big Michael Jackson's. Now you can just have, you could press your own little vinyl single, 200 copies, and then your own little scene in Boston couldn't have 200 copies and who cares about other people in other cities you know we've got our own scene going on uh but then you know as things progressed it got better i, I we did cds and full-length vinyl but again the internet then came and changed everything then all of our albums were being traded for free on napster and you know then we couldn't make any money anymore this was between before you know they figured out how to make money with spotify and itunes which still you know doesn't make any money for the artists but Basically, the whole record industry fell apart. You know, there was no way to make money. It costs a lot to print the sleeve and press the vinyl, and then it's heavy. It's a lot to ship around. So it's fun, and it's it's great now that we have this cult history of, that you know, people getting into our bands. I, I get emails sometimes from people, I can't find this record from 1995. You still have any copies? So it's fun to have that past life. Um, but yeah, like I said, that was somewhat ending. The, the band's were winding down. They were in marriages that were getting divorced. Um, I moved to Providence looking for something new. And exactly so was that. was the, the record label in New York? It was mostly in Boston when I was at Tufts. Then when mm -hmm. I moved to New York City, because a lot of the bands lived there and I needed to hook up with managers and promotional people that were in New York City. And, you know, of course, all the bands had to play New York City at that time to, to get attention in, in uh, press. So uh, I moved to New York City for a few years. Actually, 
this is a little weird. I, I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, packing up my apartment to move to New York City on September 11th of oh, 2001. Wow. Yeah. So the next, I, I actually moved to New York on September 13th. So it was weird timing. Um, I didn't know if I was still going to move. You know, the bridges were all closed down and everything. But my family lives in New York, so I continued. And yeah, but it was a weird time to go and and also to then move with the purpose of hyping music bands and getting our bands popular. Suddenly it was like, that stuff's not important anymore. You know, <laughs> no one, a stupid little band, you know, we've got more important things to do. But um, yeah, eventually something pulled me to Providence and I moved here and uh, and like like I said, to get in, I, if you had told me when I moved here that in 15 years, I'd be writing a book about urban raptors. I, I would have been laughing hysterically. I, mean, <laughs> I did not know any, I, I'm like most people, I, I did not know the difference between a hawk and a falcon or anything like that. Now, it's been fun to get into something new and, yeah. and it's still fun. You started bird watching and then you bought a camera and you started, you know, photographing them. So right. then did you, and you have a website now and you have a pretty good following on social media. So what happened there? Did you just start a social right. media account? So, How did you yeah, start I had, it, was, it was a little before, I guess Facebook started in, in 2006 or seven, but I wasn't on social media. I was, I just started to email pictures to friends, be like, look at these hawks. And then eventually they were like, okay, enough with the hawks, Peter. Like, we, <laughs> we, it's cool. At first they were like, that's amazing. But you know, then I needed people to show it to that appreciated it. So um blogs was the big thing in like 2010 so i started my own blog providence raptors and i tried to every month have a group of interesting stories or something to tell and, and eventually I, you know in birding when you share things immediately with ebird and stuff there's a lot of competition and a lot of post a picture a lot of people say immediately where was that and you don't want to give the location because you don't want to have the bird be harassed by people you don't know and also, I want to be able to go photograph it myself more in the future. So yeah. I try to keep them a secret so I could watch, you know, like I said, the falcons are out there all the time. They're safe up there. But if I know about a secret kestrel nest on the west side, I keep it to myself and I photograph it throughout the whole season and I can collect up a whole bunch of pictures to then do a blog post that tells the story of these kestrels nesting from, you know, spring through summer instead of just one pretty picture. I often say my photography is a bit more photojournalism because it's telling a story and, you know, it might be a picture of a falcon tearing a pigeon apart, which is not artwork you're going to hang on your wall, yeah. but it's necessary to tell the story of the falcons. And especially, you know, when we go up on banding day and put the bands on the chicks, you know, that's something everyone's curious to see and um, that they love to see those pictures. So those blog posts got big every year. And then, yeah, people started to follow me. I just connected with other photographers and who do the same thing in Boston, and and it's and it's a, it's a nice community. But like I said, being in Rhode Island is is great because it's still a small state, and and not a lot of people like to come downtown. So I've kind of got downtown to myself, and and you never know what's going to happen. There was an owl that showed up and was hunting for three months, and every night I was able to go watch him catch rats in the city wow. lights. So. It's always some, there's always something amazing happening. And how did you get and, the idea yeah. to combine all of your blog posts into your book? Right. Well, you know, eventually, you know, I have some cool stories of like hawks that nested on fire escapes and stuff. But eventually I was like, wow, that's a 10 year old story already. So, you know, 
I have a book actually called The Birds of Swan Point Cemetery, which is Swan Point's a great place that a lot of birders in Rhode Island like to go to. And I just loved how it was a local book about a local place for local people. And it told a lot of stories about how this guy birded at Swan Point for like 30 years of his life. I said, you know, I've got all these stories. When I try to do an art gallery, it's hard to sell a print. People say, why don't you make a calendar? And if I make a calendar, they say, why don't you make postcards? So it's very hard to figure out. And eventually I said, you know, I have these stories. And I, I so it has to be a book. Because it was weird because I'm not an author. I've never written something this long before. But I did it. I worked on it. I had a friend who, who uh, works with me at Audubon on their report that, that I designed. So she edits the text for the report. So I asked her if she'd help me edit my book. And, and thank you, Hope. She was amazing. She did a great job of rewording things in a way that we wanted to say them um and the book you know, again is all about learning about birds protecting the birds how you can help the birds it's not about here's exactly where to go find the birds so it's yeah. not a bird guide but it's, it's very educational and people in Providence love it because they see buildings and that they recognize they see statues that they recognize and there's a falcon sitting on it and yeah. and just like you told me as we started now you notice the birds people tell me and you know they, they never knew it before and they've lived here 10 years and now they can see it every day as well. So um, it, it's fun to leave. I, the book is great because I feel like now it's 10 years of important stories. And that's kind of like my what I'm going to leave behind when I'm dead. That book will exist and that will be just like the guys from Swan Point. He's passed away and his book exists for me to learn from my book will exist for future people to learn from. And there is some science stuff. Like I do have a chart of the actual breeding pair of falcons here that have changed every year because, you know, we have a breeding pair. If they're banded, then we luckily we can identify the same ones, but every year a new male or a female might show up and try to break up that couple and, and move in. So that has happened multiple times over the years, you know, if you look at the chart, there's an interesting one where a, a couple had a um, some offspring and one of the offspring then moved away. And then three years later, he came back to Providence and kicked out. Well, but in those three years, his mother was replaced by a new female. So his dad kind of had a stepmom. <laughs> then, then the young gun came back and kicked out his own father. Wow. And then mated with the stepmom. So and then they were together for three years. So. It's, it's real prime real estate here because it's the tallest perch in all of Rhode Island, uh, not only just in Providence and all of the state. So that perch up there, they all want it. <laughs> the higher, yeah. the better. They can see 360 degrees and especially that, you know, that's not for hawks. That's for the peregrine falcons. The peregrines need as much height as possible because they use that height and gravity to reach up to like 200 miles an hour to catch birds right in the air so it's interesting like the falcons stay up high the, the hawks will come on the ground to catch squirrels and and rodents but the falcons will stay up high in the air hmm. okay and you're still doing some graphic design work right now right yeah and that's what i do for a living so Pro providence raptors is still my side hobby okay. and I know it's called Providence Raptors because I'm not trying to be a famous photographer. It's, it's the it's the story of the, the, the Falcons and the and the Raptors. They're the stars. So mm -hmm. um, with with Ahanga, you know, I'm going to be doing more of my graphic design artwork 
maybe bird related stuff in addition to my bird photography. So that will be under my name, Peter Green, which will be a little unusual for me. <laughs> but I like to be behind the camera. You said graphic design is still your, your right. job right now. Exactly. So, so with Audubon? So uh, I, I'm a freelancer. So I do okay. have lots of different clients from, from uh, you know, from Audubon that I hooked up with through Birding. So I designed their quarterly newspaper that comes out. I'm currently wow. designing the logo for their new virtual uh, 5K run that's coming up. I have clients left over from New York City that run musical classes for children. I have clients that sell office supplies. So I've got everything. I, I do <laughs> still, you know, some leftover from my record label life. I have some bands that still exist and I do artwork for their oh. album covers or logos. You know, I'm redo redoing the logo for the wildlife clinic right now. So it all overlaps and, and it's great because it, I get to uh, keep animals and that involved in my design work as well. So that was my next question, actually. If yeah. you have any particular theme when it comes to your graphic design, is it very animal heavy? Well, it's funny. There is one guy, an artist that is a big influence on me and a lot of designers. Charlie Harper is a, is a painter who has a really minimalistic style from the 60s of painting birds. And not only is it a great, unique, minimalistic style, all of his artwork shows the birds doing their own unique activities. And it's always something clever. Like he's a very clever mind. So it's never just a bird sitting in a tree. It's like birds sitting in a tree with some kind of mouse hiding somewhere or something. It's always very clever. That's a big influence, you know, if just in terms of creating your own style and using it to be educational as well. His pictures are educate his drawings and, and paintings are educational similar to how mine are uh, photojournalism educational. So you can see his pictures of an of an owl and learn a little bit about its behavior from that painting as well about as well as what it looks like. Behavior is a big thing in bird photography. If you are entering a contest for uh, for Audubon or National Geographic, a portrait of an eagle or something is not going to win. It's all about capturing some interaction that nobody has caught before or unusual behavior that's what it's always about and i've learned that you know from when i first started i was like oh wow i got a great hawk photo but you eventually see people have been photographing hawks for 50 100 years there are amazing portraits of every animal i remind people when they're a photographer out in the woods you're not working on a biology book so don't worry about getting the sharpest close-up of that owl's eye think about telling a story that only you could tell I, you know, I already told how I do that myself, but I'll say, for example, I follow somebody on Instagram in Boston who also photographs kestrels. And one of them was on a building, nesting in a building, and he was saying that he was frustrated because it was never landing in a tree and he wanted it in a natural setting. And so he eventually posted a picture of it in a tree. And I said, you know, it's beautiful kestrel in a tree, but that could be in California. That could be anywhere. Who knows where that is? The, the building that you described in Boston, that doesn't exist anywhere else. So let's see those kestrels on that building. That, and because you can only, you're the only one who could show us that. So show what only you could show. Uh, bring to the table something unique. And he loved that. And yeah, and uh, he does that more now and, and realizes that about his own photography. Have you faced any particular difficulties in the pursuit either of your graphic design or of your birding or your blog or any of your creative pursuits, really? 
like I said, I hate to like, you know, put down the birding community, but you know, there's a site called eBird where if you see a bird, you can enter in the sighting and you can geolocate the exact spot. That's great for science because then we have, we know exactly where birds are and exactly what territory they're doing and exactly what day and season they're there. But people have alerts on their phone, you know, um, if there's a bird spotted in my area, let me know. And they get alerts. Like uh, there was a snowy owl in New York City for the first time in 150 years. So all the birders in New York City got an alert and then 100 people run to, to attack, not attack, but to see that <laughs> bird. And they're all surrounding the bird, you know, um, and this bird's got to eat, you know, so if, if, if it's surrounded, it's not going to feel comfortable to eat and then everyone will show up next week and it, and it could be dead from starvation. It's a balance of wanting to educate the people, you know, because I could just take all these pictures and not show anybody. Right. I could take pictures of Harko Day and never and just for my own fun. Yeah. But I do enjoy sharing them. And then, like I said, many of the responses are, where is this? Where can I go see it? And. You don't want to be mean and say, you know, because and just I'm not telling you. I try to explain to people this is why I can't tell you. Um, then they'll contact me privately and say, just tell me. Don't tell Can you them tell publicly. me now? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, or I'll trade you. I'll trade you an owl for a hawk, you know, stuff like that. But I'm still very protective because I swear there's been drama in the past. And then people expect me to be the bird police. You know, hey, Peter, there's some guy harassing an owl over here. I'm like. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, I'm not the bird police for all of Rhode Island. Um, you know, I try to, when you find nice people, you stick with those people. Um, if you meet competitive people who only want to know where birds are, ignore those people. Yeah. And like I said, I'm lucky people don't want to come downtown. They're scared of downtown. <laughs> they don't know where to park. Where am I going to park? So, <laughs> yeah. so I've got downtown to myself pretty much. Um, and, you know, when I hear about a snowy owl out on the beach, I uh, let those other guys have fun watching the snowy owl. I wait for the owl to show up in Providence. I tell them, tell them I'm waiting for them here. Do you have any future hopes for either your graphic design or your your birding or your blog or your book or just yourself you know, in general? You know, as I'm older now, I'm, I'm going to be 47 next, next week. You know, you kind of just get happy with what you have. You know, when I was younger, getting into graphic design, I was like, oh, I would love to make a logo that's like Nike or Starbucks that you see everywhere. And, and you know, that's the goal. That, that's the ultimate goal of a company to get to the point where your Starbucks or Nike, where you can remove the word Nike and just have a swoosh and they know who you are. Yeah. So your Starbucks has now moved towards removing even the word Starbucks and just using that mermaid and you know what mm -hmm. it is. So. Um, most companies can't get to that point. Yeah. You know, McDonald's, you could just see the arches or something. Yeah. So as a kid, I was, you know, dreaming like, oh, one day I'm going to make one of those amazing logos that is known around the world. But, um, or, but the record label, you know, be with some band that's going to be the biggest band in the world. But these days I'm really happy just with my local community. Uh, people were saying I'm just shooting myself in the foot by doing a book providence raptors instead of urban raptors and including stories about new york and boston and going there to find out stuff but like i said other people can do that i'm into the local thing so i'm happy with whatever level things have i mean i guess i'm happy because things have been going well i mean the book did much better than i expected that was the format after these years i figured out that was the format for what i do i'm not selling artwork i'm not selling calendars it's the stories and the pictures along with the stories. So 
as far as where that goes in the future, I would love, I don't see myself doing another book because I would need 10 years of more stories. I could, I definitely can continue the blog and, and tell stories that way. And I enjoy, you know, interacting with people on social media, but I really just enjoy keeping up having adventures. You know, it's, it's fun doing the blog. People send me tips. Oh, there's an owl out at my house, you know, come check it out. And, and I work with the rehabbers, so when they are done rehabbing a bird and setting it free, I can photograph the happy release of that animal back into nature. So I just want to continue doing this stuff. And people ask me a lot of technical photography questions a lot. Um, when I have free time, I read about birds. So it's, it's, you know, the balance is also there. Do you read about photography or do you read about birds? You know, the, uh, apparently I was, somebody just sent me an article, the new cameras have technology that that recognizes that you're looking at an animal and focuses on the eyeball for you and tracks the eyeball. So, I mean, cameras are just getting insane. So yeah. um, I, I try not to read about them all the time because then you're tempted to keep spending money. And I'd also just, I'd like to have more knowledge about birds and the latest technology. But yeah, so where, where do I see myself in the future? I would, I would just like to keep going. Eventually, I would like to get out of the city, get a house and and join the rehabbers as a rehab as one of the home rehabbers. Um, currently, I live in a loft with two cats, so I can't even bring. You know, the, the basic training that you start is not with injured animals; it's with orphaned animals. So they just like birds that fell out of the nest that need to be fed every hour, and then they'll be set free, or baby squirrels okay. that need to be fed every three hours. But with two cats in my house, I can't <laughs> even do that. So the cats will be the ones feeding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll mention I work with another company or another organization called Creature Conserve, and their slogan is bringing artists and scientists together to save oh. species. So I do some artwork for them, run by a, a, a woman I know, Lucy Spellman, from the, I know her from the Wildlife Clinic. And it's about, she works at RISD teaching, uh, she's, a, she's a vet, and she also teaches artists and scientists in her life. And, you know, it, it sucks when you see an artist painting something that's scientifically inaccurate about an animal. So okay. you kind of want to connect them and make sure that they help each other. The art, the scientists make sure that the artists are portraying the animals correctly and the artists bring attention to the issues that the scientists are doing. So, for example, a pangolin, which is an endangered species, you know, she brought people, a group of students to go to... Gosh, I don't know exactly where they live. I think it's in South Africa, South America. And to meet the people who work with the pangolins and and just throw off ideas from each other and do some artwork about that. And um, and so that's a cool organization to be involved with. And that and I always say, are you sure you want to involve me? I'm not I'm not picking up a paintbrush and painting, but photography counts. So uh, and and and, and um, they also have writers as well. So I, I like to be involved with them as well. It's even fun for me when the guys who banned the peregrines every year and have seen it all still get something, get a kick out of my stories and stuff, you know, like, so I sent my book to, to the guys who banned the falcons in Massachusetts and he loved it, you know, because a lot of the birds that he banded ended up moving to Rhode Island. So I'm, <laughs> I'm telling the stories of some of the birds that he banded as a baby. So it, it's all fun. It, it, everyone's, everyone's a nice person, then it, it's great. I like to use my artwork to educate and tell stories. It's not about what a great artist I am. It's, mm -hmm. it's about finding an interesting way to tell the story. 
eventually I would like to get a house with property, have a nice bird feeder. You know, there are tons of tips on making your property bird and animal friendly, you know, not raking all the leaves all the time. So then that invites animals that like to hide under leaves. And so I would love to wake up in the, and see a fox in my backyard or a affiliated woodpecker or something that, that's not going to come downtown. Yeah. But for now, uh, I've got peregrine falcons out my window, so I'm not complaining about it. That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs>